Good morning. Appreciate the invitation to be with you today. It's always a pleasure to come to the Hebron Church. Uh, Doug is a good friend of mine and Barb and their children as well. And through that I've met Tim and Jerry and others on staff. And I've, I certainly enjoy and appreciate uh, all that Hebron does and what it stands for and, and always feel so very welcome. So thank you for that. But I confess that I also feel somewhat intimidated because of a high respect that I have for your staff. And um, I always felt like uh, this is an opportunity for them to shine so much better because after you hear me, you'll appreciate them so much more. Uh, but they are great people, and uh, you are great people. And uh, so thank you for allowing me to be here today. Our scripture today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to ask if we can read it together out loud, okay? So uh, I'm going to do that because there's names in there I don't know if I can pronounce. So, uh, so you guys can do it for me. Let's read together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We're grateful for the gathering that we have here, knowing that we join with others around the world. And we gather because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and life that is found in him. So may we honor him this day. May we honor you. May your Holy Spirit live in us. And may people see that and want to know. And by the way that we live and our actions, the character of our very lives, and by chance the words you allow us to say, may we declare the wonders of God and they may come to believe as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on the church calendar, this is Pentecost Sunday. It is probably, in, in my perspective, the, the third most important of our Christian celebrations behind Christmas, Easter, and then Pentecost. But uh, from my perspective as well, it does not seem to carry that same amount of weight. Um, I, I've never heard of a Pentecost Eve service or a Pentecost sunrise service. 
Um, uh, you have three services. That's normal. There's none that have been added to it this day. Uh, if we were going to do anything special, it would probably be a bonfire, I guess, and uh, somewhere where there would be a lot of fire and flames and things like that. So it might be something you might want to consider in the future, okay, as far as that goes. But growing up, you know, I, I grew up in a church where uh, I didn't become a believer until I was in college, but it wasn't the church that I grew up in's fault. Uh, they, they taught me the scriptures. I knew them in my head. It just didn't make it to my heart until I entered college. And so uh, I, I remember these stories, okay? And, and so uh, it wasn't brand new. Uh, but I also didn't know the significance of it, and I was just getting bits and pieces. And, and so I remember the story of people from different places all together for some particular reason, and I didn't know why. Uh, and then I realized there was a strange phenomena went on this day of a wind and fire, and, and all of a sudden people talking in different languages. And, and, and every once in a while, I, I remember growing up and people talking about Pentecost being the birthday of the church. And, uh, and I think that's a partial truth now. Uh, it, it's not the full truth. It's almost like going to a movie theater and wanting to see a movie you've been longing to see. And so you, you pay the ticket and you buy your popcorn. You sit down in there and you're ready to go. And they show the preview and then the preview's over and the lights come on and it's all over. You don't get the fullness of the movie. And so just to say today is the birthday of the church is probably uh, not doing full justice to what the Word of God wants to do. I remember my father telling me, uh, you only have one opportunity to make a good first impression. And so my first impression of, uh, of, of this scripture that talks about tongues uh, comes along this line. Uh, when I finally became a believer and I seriously began to read the scriptures with others uh, in, in the university with me, I, I read that it says people were speaking in tongues. And I said, well, of course. If you're going to speak, you've got to use your tongue. I said, what's so special about that? I go, duh. I come out, why is that there? You know, I, it was just, I had no concept of what was going on. And so that was, my first impression was, well, this is so simple, of course. Everybody uses their tongue to speak. And the second opportunity I had to do this is uh, visiting my barber shop. Okay, uh, the barbershop I went to growing up at home, it was a typical men's barbershop. You walk in there, they had sports magazines, car magazines, wrestling magazines, and, and men would just talk about what men talk about, okay? And that was it. And so I came home uh, soon after I became a believer at university, time to get a haircut, walk into the same barbershop. As soon as I walked in, I thought, that's a, new, that's a new barber. I've never seen that guy before, something different. And he was cutting hair of somebody, and he was almost done, so I sat down, and I went to look for the sports magazine, and, and it wasn't there. And I started, I started thumbing through, and, and all they were, they were, they were different types of magazines. They were all Christian magazines. And then I looked on the wall, and there was no more posters of, of, of race cars or anything like that. It was scripture verses and cross-stitch in the barber shop, okay? And, I, and I'm wondering, well, this is, this is different. This is really different here, you know? And so uh, finally the man in front of me finished his haircut and he leaves and so now it's just me and the barber. So I get in the chair and I say, I, I, you're, you must be new. He said, yeah, I just came here, bought the business and, uh, and so now in my full wisdom of, of learning things, I said, uh, are you a Christian? Okay, and uh, he said, yes, I am. And next thing, he took off. 
he took off just talking about his testimony and, he, and he's, he's cutting my hair and I'm sitting there and you got your head kind of down and, and you're at the mercy of your barber when you're there, okay? And so then he started saying, and you know something? He goes, it's, it's the most wonderful thing is that I now speak in tongues. I go, oh good, he uses his tongue too. And, and then he says, would you like to speak in tongues? And I said, well, you know, when you get your head down and the guy behind you has a razor in one hand and a pair of scissors in another, you say yes to anything, okay? And I said, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. So then he went over to the door, locked the door, pulled down the blinds, and all of a sudden I'm wondering, what have I gotten myself into here? He gets behind me, puts his hands on my shoulder, and I think, boy, that razor's really close. And he starts speaking in tongues. And then he's encouraging me to speak in tongues too. And he says, just let it go. It'll come. Ask for the Spirit. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I have the dry heaves, you know. I'm, nothing's coming out, okay. And it's like, and we're there for several minutes. And finally I say, I, it's not working today. It's not working today. And so obviously I got out alive, okay. But, but that was my first impression. Now, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, my, my tempt is not to make fun to people who speak in tongues, okay? It's, it's a gift of God. But that, that's the first impression I had. And sometimes those type of impressions influence the way that we look at the scriptures. And I, I would think on my interpretation, if I live simply on the way that I experienced that at first, I, if that's what I felt like this passage was talking about, just simply speaking in tongues, then I've really missed an awful lot of what God has in store for us. The, the other previous scriptures that were written from Luke and earlier in Acts are, are all, all part of this narrative. They all happen within a time frame very, very close together uh, from Luke and, and Acts 1 right before the ascension of Jesus. And he, and he, he makes these incredible promises to us that, that God wants to give us a new kind of power. It's an extraordinary type of power. And it's, it's, it cannot be just the power of new birth and sanctification because Jesus is talking to believers, okay? So they've already received that. But he's saying there, there's something more. In the Luke passage, it says you're going to be clothed, fully clothed, all right? And, and then in, in Acts 1, it says you're going uh, to receive this power, but it's the idea that, and we see that especially in Acts 1, we're going to receive this power. There, there's a purpose behind it. There's a reason. Is that you will be my witnesses. And it says in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then it says to the ends of the earth. And so I, I think the, the connecting point is that is. It's not just the phenomena of speaking in tongues that our passage is drawing us to. And it's not just saying this was the day of the birthday of the church. But it's talking about God wants us to be involved and he's given us the power in his design for the evangelism of the whole world. And if we miss that, then we've missed Pentecost. And so I, I want us to kind of look at that today and, and to try to go through some of these things. The reason why I think we can say that is because church history backs that up. You know, 
God calls us to be faithful and obedient every day. We exercise the disciplines of our own personal devotional life and and our individual prayer time, and we join with others in corporate Bible study, and and we we learn from one another, and when we have questions, we ask in the context of of other believers, and and we come and we sit in worship together as, as a sense of hearing God's word and responding to God's word and being sent out to whatever whatever God wants us and calls us to do, that we are effective workers for him. But from time to time, church history shows that God does a special, extraordinary outpouring of his spirit that, that makes a major transformation in the people that God is working with this day. And, and, and we see that happening, and, and we come back, and afterwards we, we say that we call that revivals or renewals or reformations or awakenings. And historically we read about that, and we see where God has penetrated a certain culture, a certain land, a certain country, a certain people group. And by, it's by the outpouring of his spirit that he makes this dramatic invasion into people's lives. But normally it's just every day, you and I, just one-on-one, one-on-two or three, and and are working at what God wants us to do. So if we get stuck with the idea that it's just the birthday of the church that we're missing it, that the, the whole world has not been evangelized yet. All of Penn Hills has not been won to Christ yet. And so... The message of of Acts chapter 2 is important even for us today and really speaks to us. So we're going to try to go through this just very briefly. First, and very first verse is when the day of Pentecost came. Now, in the context of Christmas and Easter, we now celebrate the birth of Jesus and we call it Christmas Day. When he was born, there was not a Christmas Day, okay? And when he rose from the dead, we call it Easter Day, but there wasn't an Easter Day then. It's what we call it. But in the context of the scripture, when it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were actually saying there was a day called Pentecost, all right? It was an important day. And so our question might be, well, why, what's the importance? What's the significance? Do you think there's a reason why that it was on this day that God used this moment to pour out his spirit at this particular time and place in the way that we just read it? And I think so because Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. It's the second most important Jewish holiday, 50 days, Pentecost meaning 50, 50 days after Passover. In the Old Testament, it was time to commemorate the, the harvest. And, and, and on a side, almost all the feasts have to do with harvest. They must have been harvesting all the time, okay? But it was a time of thanksgiving as well. And it was one of the times when, when the men of Israel in particular were under obligation to go to Jerusalem. So there was a large number of people in, Pente- in Jerusalem on the day of this Pentecost event. And so every year at Pentecost, there would be a lot of people coming from outside, and as we read, even from other countries, they were there. So we had a, a boom or a burst in the population of Pentecost that day. Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Harvest. As I said, it was in commemoration of that, of the harvest that they had received. And so it, there, there's a symbolic relationship here of 
we're talking about God, I believe God's talking about a harvesting, not necessarily of agricultural crops, but of men and women who have been created in his image, and because of their sin have fallen apart and lost that relationship. And so while the restoration that God wants to have for them, it's going to be done by a dramatic outpouring where he says, here it comes, and I am going to be involved in the changing of your lives. It is extraordinary. It is the first major event we see in the New Testament of a dramatic influence of people coming to know Christ in large number. At the end of the scripture, it tells us 3,000 men that day came to know the Lord. Billy Graham would have loved that day. But unfortunately today when we hear the word Pentecostal power, at least in my mind, I, I, I go back to my initial impressions. And they're all on the demonstrable way that God made himself known and has taken away from what he wants us to be involved in. And that is the, the process of the evangelization of the whole world. I think that's so crucial. It sets the tone. And so when the day of Pentecost came, that was the day God chose to pour out his spirit for the first time in the book of Acts. We read on and it says suddenly. Suddenly is the very first word of verse 2. I need to tell you a little bit more about myself. I am a type A personality. I like to plan. I like to have order. I like to know exactly how everything is going to go. Um, I like people who like that as well. Okay. People like me don't like to hear the word suddenly. Okay. Suddenly means there's a change. Okay. Suddenly means that, uh-oh, we're going to do something a little bit different than the way we spent the last three weeks planning how to do this. Okay. Suddenly means that we're going to do things much, much different. And, and for people like, is there anybody else like, are there any type A personality? You want to come out of the closet and raise your hand? Okay. All right. Okay. For, for those of us, you know, for us type A personalities, when we hear the word suddenly, what we think of is that doesn't anybody here like the plan, okay? And doesn't anybody follow order at all? Okay? But for God, he used that word. And so there was an intentional reason, I think, why he wanted that word. And he says, suddenly, a sound, here's a good reason why, suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, even though we, we understand this one in America now in the last month or so, it may not have happened here, but there's been enough tornadoes and things going on, and we have CNN and the Weather Channel to help us see that. We, we get this pretty good idea now of when a violent wind comes, what it sounds like. And when it comes, if you're in the midst of it and you talk to people who've lived there, they know that sound and they'll never ever forget that sound again. And it's made such a deep impression on them when that sound of a violent wind comes, they know they're in an extraordinary moment of time. And this is what God is saying. Suddenly, he brings this violent wind. So I need to hear that myself. 
Because one of the things that I think God's trying to say is that in my desire to try to plan things out, it is often the case that I think there might be certain techniques that I could use or employ to invoke the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit. I take all those things that were created for good, the, the, the encouragement to be a man of prayer, the, the exhortation to be in God's Word, the, the, the stimulation that one gets when we gather together and worship. And, and I am the type of a person that says, well, that must be a certain technique of the way that I pray and the way that I read and how many times I gather together for worship and the songs that I sing and the way that I sing them. That if I do it in a certain way, that if God ever showed himself up, well, then I'll make sure I do it exactly the same way again. And God wants me to know, and I think all of us to know, that when he uses the word suddenly, he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit is a sovereign and a free being. That he does not come by our beck and call. We may urge him, we may pray for him, we may hope for him. We may plan for him, but we cannot ever say that because we have done this, I know for sure that God is going to come upon us and his Holy Spirit is going to be here. It is simply because of the sovereign grace of God and the free will that he exhibits within the exhibition of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that they intrude in our lives and we respond into that intrusion. Now, earlier I said whenever God makes those dramatic things, sometimes we use words like revival, renewal, and things like that. And, and you have probably seen, I think the church has kind of uh, taken advantage of that word revival. And, 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 and they, churches mean well. And there have been times I drive down a road and, and I see a sign and it says, Revival. June 22 to 25, somebody, they give you the date. And I know what they want to, I know, I know what they mean, I think. I think I know what they mean. I think they mean we're going to come, we're going to worship, we're going to honor God, we're going to, but, it, but they're also advertising that it's, it's going to happen, folks. And, 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 and in light of what Tim made reference to and, uh, of May 21, when, when, when Christ did not return and the world did not come to end, in the same way, we can never say when that revival is going to happen. It is simply out of God's good pleasure. And so we pray for it. And we work for it. And we urge it on. But according to God's word, it's by his own omniscient, omnipotent, powerful choice. I need to learn that. I need to be ready. I need to be alert when it happens suddenly. I need to be ready to get out of my personality and recognize God's at work. And the reason why is he wants some harvesting to be done. And maybe he allows me to be a part of it. Verse 2 and 3 goes on. And then if you ever want to enter into paranoia, this is where I come in. 
Okay, verse 2 and 3, we already read the one. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. That doesn't happen that often, but we do know it does happen in other contexts. But then verse 3, they saw, they saw, meaning this was, this was not a dream. This was not a dream. It doesn't say they dreamed or had a vision. They, they, they saw, they saw what seemed, they couldn't quite understand. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, my type A personality responds like this. I am now scared out of my wits. Okay, if something like that would happen, i say, that is so much different than what I've normally seen. I had not planned for that one by far. And yet by the sudden uh, infusion of God's spirit, he goes on and he moves in this way. And, and so he, he's talking about a different way to draw people's attention. He, he wants it to be used for a purpose, but he's drawing their attention. And so all that I can gather from this is there are times... There are times when the Holy Spirit makes a visible, an audible, uh, a touchable, a smellable, uh, some infusion into your life that is so much different than what he normally does that God wants to grab our attention. He wants to use it, not so much so that we we, we put that on the pedestal, the attention-grabbing thing that's been used, but what he wants us to do, the attention is to is grab for us so that we know that it's time God is ready to do some harvesting. And he wants us to be there. And we are his harvesters that he's employing for his work of world evangelization. Now, if we think about it, this is not new stuff. I mean, it's not everyday stuff. But back in the Old Testament, when Moses approached the burning bush, Okay, that was, that was a visible, a, a, a feelable, a sealable, you know, infusion of God's presence. Later on when he was leading the, the Hebrews out, it, it said there was what, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. Other times in the Old Testament, we see where God makes this, this uh, wonderful intrusion with a visible demonstration that I'm here, world, and we're going to do something important today. When Jesus was baptized, it said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. In Acts chapter 4, the building shook. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen's face shown like an angel. In Acts chapter 16, there was an earthquake. And you notice it wasn't the same thing all the time. And so I can't can't ask this question. I said, God, how come it doesn't happen to me? (laughs) Why not today? And and that can be done with a legitimate, God, I just want to know more. But I also think he does this in a variety of ways, so there's no one way that we can ever say, oh no, it wasn't an earthquake, it wasn't God. Oh no, oh no, it wasn't a strong wind. No, nope, gotta be a strong wind. Nope, didn't, didn't hear any tongues today, can't do any of that. No, I think God does it in a variety of different ways. He does not, he wants us to know him better, but he does not want us to put him in a box. And so, 
we are, we're ready. We're anxious. We're alert. We want to see how God's Spirit is ready to work. John White was an author who, uh, I was, particularly when I was in college, uh, he wrote a lot of different books. He was, uh, I think, a psychologist as well and a pastor. I have a quote here. I think it's coming up on the board sometime. And listen to what John White had to say about an experience he had. On one occasion, it was as I prayed with the elders and deacons in my home. I tried to teach them what worship was. We then turned to prayer. Perhaps partly to be a model to them, I began to express worship, conscious of the poverty of my words. Then suddenly, there's that word again, then suddenly, he wrote it, then suddenly I saw in front of me a column of flame of about two feet in width. It seemed to arise from beneath the floor and to pass through the ceiling of the room. I knew without being told, knew by some infallible kind of knowing that transcended the use of my intellect that I was in the presence of the God of holiness. In stunned amazement, I watched a rising column of flames in our own living room while my brothers remained with their heads quietly bowed and their eyes closed. I felt that I was in the presence of reality and that my brothers were asleep. For years afterwards, I never spoke of the incident. The others who were present would not have perceived the blend of stark terror and joy that threatened to sweep me away. How could I live and see what I saw? Garbled words of love and of worship tumbled out of my mouth as I struggled to hang out on my self-control. I was no longer trying to worship. Worship was undoing me, pulling me apart. And to be pulled apart was both terrifying and full of glory outpouring of God's spirit that day. It's what happened on Pentecost as well. Something very similar. Suddenly they move from the knowledge of the presence of God, which is a good thing to have. And they moved to the experience of the presence of God, which is even better. From the knowledge of the presence to the experience of the presence of God. Verse 4 and 11 are similar in what they say. They talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and enabled to tell the wonders of God. Being filled with the Spirit is a term that we hear so often. And just briefly, I, I'm beginning to sense a little bit more and more what that might mean. Briefly, I think to mean when it says to be filled by the Spirit of God means that the Spirit of God is allowing me to see God the Father as the Spirit sees God the Father. And being filled with the Spirit of God means the Spirit of God is working within me and allows me to see God the Son in the same way that God the Spirit sees the Son. And the way he sees the Father and the Son are so much clearer than the way I see the Son. That when I'm filled with the Spirit, I see something completely different than I've ever seen before. Put your hands in, put your hands in front of your face like that with your fingers crossed. You can see through there. But boy, when the Holy Spirit, it kind of draws it away. And now you can see clearly. 
And when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit lives within us, when God suddenly moves in us, and if he gives some demonstrable way of showing it, praise be to God for that as well. But when the Spirit of God lives within us and we see God the Father as he is and God the Son as who he is, we now see things in much different ways than we ever seen before. And there's nothing else that we can do but tell others of the wonders of God. No longer important is where we're going to go for lunch or what the weather's like or where we're going on vacation. Only thing that we ever want to talk about is the wonders of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's the outpouring of God that makes it happen. And that's the significance of the gift of tongues in this particular passage. Because there were people from all different countries and cultures and languages. And they needed to hear the wonders of God. And it was that particular day in history that God said, here's going to be a dramatic outpouring of my spirit. And so I will give a violent wind. I will have a fire over the heads of those who love me. And I will give them a variety of different tongues that they can speak. And people will hear that in bewilderment. No wonder how these Galileans know to speak my language. And God uses that so that they can declare the wonders of God and the infusion of the evangelization of the world in Acts chapter 2 begins that day. And all praise goes to God. The last thing we want to talk about is what we find at the very end. It says this. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And it's kind of a warning alongside a word of encouragement. And the warning is whenever God makes his dramatic intrusion into the lives of people, there's always two sides. There's one side that is willing to say, what does this mean, God? Tell me more. And then there's another side that says, oh, come on, you're nothing but drunk. It can't mean a thing. And that's happened over and over in biblical history too, hasn't it? Over and over again, we see how that happens. When Moses led the people out of Egypt and things were going rough, there was a large, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. Oh, it would have been better to die in Egypt. And when sent the spies into the promised land, the majority report was, oh, they're giants. There's no way. And Joshua and Caleb said, it's our land that God has promised. And Mark chapter 2, in the healing of the paralytic of the man as he came down through the roof, there were those around there when Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. They mumbled, you can't, but only God could do that. Well, they're right, only God can do that, but they weren't happy about it. And there were others who were amazed at what happened, it says, that day. In John chapter 6, in the feeding of the 5,000, after Jesus had made that dramatic intrusion in their life in that particular way, and then he taught them, he says, I'm the bread of life, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And all of a sudden, they were saying, what does that mean? 
And the scripture says most of them, almost all of them went away. And only 12 were left. And even in the Great Commission at the very end, even those who had witnessed the same thing, it says, and some worshiped and some doubted. There's always two sides. My friends, we want to be on the right side. We want to be on God's side. Graduate, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. I was fortunate enough to play on their basketball team. Our arch rival is West Virginia University. If there's any graduates of here, God loves you. I don't, but God does. <laughs> Wouldn't you know that after I graduated, my first place of work in ministry was in West Virginia. <laughs> I'm serving a very, very small church. And so when Pitt comes down to play West Virginia, we decide we're all going to go and have an evening out with the church, which is only two or three carloads of people. It's all it took. And so we went and we all went to the game. We went out to a fancy dinner at Haas's beforehand and got a nice steak dinner. And then we went to the game. And, but here's the point. Here I'm a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh who played on the team. And I am sitting among West Virginia people. I was on the wrong side. I did not enjoy that game anyway and whatsoever. I much would have been much more happier sitting close to somebody who every once in a while would have the courage to stand up and say, let's go, Pitt. But I was on the wrong side. And in our scripture today, there were people who were on the wrong side as well. And they missed the intrusion of God's Holy Spirit into their lives. And more so, they missed the process of being involved in the harvesting of the world for Jesus Christ. I know Hebron does not miss those things. And although what you do here may never make any church history books I don't know that for sure, but chances are it won't. But you will make, and you are making, significant places of godly intrusions into people's lives who live right around here. And I would urge you to continue to pray that he would do even more than what he's already done. And no, it will come suddenly. And no, there may be some demonstrations that will make you feel uncomfortable. But make sure you're on the right side. The side of what does this mean? Lord, teach us what does this mean. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you intrude in our lives more than we'd ever would have expected. And we look now with gratitude for what you've done. So use us in the evangelization of the whole world that begins right where we live. In Jesus' name, amen.